Please welcome to the Big Wake Up Call. Oh my goodness, he has joined us every so often for quite a while now. I can't even count. It is uh, Dylan Brody. Dylan, good morning. How are you, Ryan? It is a joy and a delight to speak with you today, sir. Well, same to you. How have you been? What is new and exciting in the world, oh, Dylan Brody? Oh, you know, Ryan, I am happy always to plug my new album, uh, Road Tested with Chauncey Bowers. Uh, currently available at Spotify and and Amazon Music and all the other places where you get your music from. But I'm not calling. I'm not speaking to you today, sir, to plug my own work. I am speaking to you today to congratulate you on 12 years of the big wake-up call. Now, I I am so impressed by this, Ryan. Not many people in uh, 2010 when uh, blogging was shifting to podcasts and vlogging, not many people who would have said, I think the future is in radio. Well, sure. And your courage in this regard just impresses me no end and that you have made a go of it, despite utter lack of talent, (laughs) uh, no apparent marketable skills. You have managed to step into an obsolete role and keep that going for a paycheck for 12 it's longer 12 years is longer than i've ever kept any job in my life right i think and this I is my keep, longest job yeah i am single-handedly keeping uh, am radio alive i am deeply impressed you know the only people in the world who impress me more than you ryan <laughs> yeah are the are the people who can comfortably wear septum rings <laughs> Yikes. i i spend so much of my life uh concerned that i might have something hanging from my nose that people who do that voluntarily impress me deeply, but but right after them, it's you. How much time do you spend thinking about these these septum people? Uh, only as long as it took me to prepare for today's show. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just made a list. I made a list of people who impress me more than Ryan Gatenby, and that's what I came up with. Well, this is exciting. Show number uh, <laughs> 5,800, and I dare you podcast people to get that much. Oh, I'm not impressed by your, your little one hour a week when we are doing 15 hours a week on this program, day after day after week after week. Yes, you know, it's very impressive. Some people are really willing to commit to that, that quality over quantity uh, equation, Ryan. And I just commend you on that willingness to say, listen, it's not good, but we've done a lot of it. <laughs> Well, absolutely. You know, you put enough content out there. Some of it is it, you're going to find the gems in there. If anyone is bothered to listen to all 6,000 shows. <laughs> it's, it's not so much comedy writing as sluicing for material. Right. Yeah. I, I understand. It's sort of how uh, my sex life with my wife has worked over the years. <laughs> it's not that good, but we do it often enough that occasionally. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's a lie. That's a lie, Ryan. I've reached the point in my marriage at which I suggest sex and she tells me what time it is. <laughs> Dylan, it's 7 la- o'clock. Oh, my mistake. Last time <laughs> you were here, we, we aired a very special piece that you recorded with, with sort of a, uh, a Christmas monologue. Just wanted to know if there had been the big wake-up call bump in interest for that and uh, in developing that into a streaming series. Oh, not only was there the big, but I got uh, uh, tens of new followers. <laughs> That's great. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, in my world, in the world of, of non-celebrity in which I live, Ryan, <laughs> tens of new followers can be, uh, that I believe, a 300% improvement. It's great. I'm happy to get any new followers. You know, this uh, E-level radio show, anytime someone shows any interest, I appreciate that. I, you know what? I, I, am, I am genuinely uh, perturbed that you are not uh, a far larger figure on the, on the national uh, radar. Yeah. It seems to me that the big wake-up call is something the entire nation desperately needs. Uh, we've been asleep for far too long, and I appreciate that you, there, out of out of Middle America, is, is that considered Middle America where you are there? I would uh, think so. I'd say it's pretty close to the the exact middle of the country. I think I think what we need is the voice of consciousness from the center of the 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 country, reminding us all that we have more in common than than our than we have uh, that separates us. Would I should I have, have framed that sentence before I started saying it. <laughs> would I have done better had I moved to L.A. at some point, or would I just gotten completely lost in uh, all of the superior talent out there? Uh, based on my experience, Ryan, uh, wouldn't have done, done you any good at all. Uh, although my experience is not really something to go by. Had you moved to California and brought with you wealthy, successful parents, sure, you could have done very, very well here. Uh, outside of that, uh, I, I see, I see very little, uh, very little reason for you to move. You seem to be doing fine, man. I am, uh, I, I look at the 12 years that you've put in there and I realize that, uh, my father might've been right, uh, that perhaps I should have developed some ability to focus. <laughs> um, currently I live in a, a small studio apartment with my wife, two dogs and bearded dragon. Um, <laughs> And uh, we are we are paying. Uh, what is it? We're not paying uh, fourteen thousand in rent a month. Oh my gosh! Uh, plus uh, plus uh, about three thousand utilities. So you know. Um, but on the brighter side, uh, we don't have to walk far to to lift the uh, dinner table off the toilet when we want to use it. <laughs> oh um, my god! That does Los sound Angeles, like my first. No, go ahead. Los Angeles is not known for economy of life. It's, uh, we, we, I, I just, uh, I, I, I'm having an ostentorium built onto the back of our, our studio apartment right now, uh, just so that we can impress people when they come over. I didn't know there was a big studio apartment scene in LA. That seems like such a New York thing. Well, there is at my place. Okay. Every, yeah, every Friday we have a big studio apartment scene here. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a cramped party that we throw every Friday for, uh, two to four people. When did you first go out to L.A., and for what reason? I moved, oh, I will tell you the story. I moved to Los Angeles in 1986, Ryan. A young man at Paramount Pictures, yeah, Paramount Pictures, uh, had taken an interest in a screenplay of mine that I had written. I was uh, 20, I'm going to say 23, 22, 23 on the road uh, with a children's theater tour of a show called King Arthur and His Magic Sword. How is that not pornography for children? Um, we did this children's theater tour and this guy loved my screenplay. So I moved to LA with $500 in my pocket. Uh, and this screenplay, I met with the guy, he wanted a rewrite on the second act. So I used part of my $500 to buy a portable typewriter and slept on a friend's couch and did the rewrite. And two weeks later on the appointed day at the appointment appointed time, I returned to the man's office 
to find uh, a member of the janitorial service scraping his name from the office door. Oh, no. Uh, he had been fired for uh, buying screenplays from young screenwriters uh, <laughs> at Guild Scale and then selling them onto Paramount for three times as much as he had paid and never really? making any movies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he went on to be very, very successful. So I guess it's a happy ending. Um, I went on to live on the roof of the comedy store for six months. Like, is there an apartment above the comedy store or the no, actual no, roof of no. the comedy store? No, I lived on the roof of the comedy store. In fact, um, I, I lived, there was a little depressed area uh, all around me, everywhere I went. Um, there was a, a little uh, area on the roof of the comedy store that I learned on a rainy night was designed to channel water away from an entrance. Okay. Um, so that night I sort of uh, stuffed it up with newspapers uh, so that I could stay dry. But then if it looked like it was going to rain, I would hide out in the club until they had closed. And then I would sleep in the belly room, the little development room for young comics upstairs, because I had so thoroughly internalized the psychotic status structure of the club that even as a vagabond, I didn't feel I was ready for the main room. When did you, was that the first like big place that you performed in LA? In LA? Yes. Uh, well, no. No, in L.A., the first place, the big place that I performed was uh, the Improv, because I had been a regular at the Improv in New York, and okay. thought that made me a regular out here. Um, I went into showcase, I went into the Improv, and they had a, uh, I said, hey, I'm a regular in New York, and they said, yes, uh, his wife got that one in the divorce, that means nothing here. Uh, <laughs> you can come in on open mic night. And I said, oh, f guys come on i'm sorry i shouldn't say that on your radio show i said let oh, me let me on, just write guys. down the time here so i can bleep that out well done i'm very sorry about that that's all right i said uh guys i'm not going to showcase i've been a regular for over a year in, in new york and they said okay come in for a showcase and we'll we'll, we'll look at you i'm not going to open mic we'll let you showcase so i i went in on a showcase evening and I gave the, the, the guy my whole intro, right? He's, he's just come from New York where he was working in the motion picture industry, which was true. Uh, I had been a PA on uh, uh, several films uh, on Crocodile Dundee. And um, so I, I, um, I, I, I really wanted the full intro and it was gonna be, it was gonna be great. I was gonna go out, I was gonna crush. And the guy w went up and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage. A uh, young man, he's just gotten back from New York. Uh, where he's been starring in a motion picture. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I gave them the right credit. I, <laughs> I've got plausible deniability. I'm getting ready in the back. I'm ready to go up. Please welcome to the stage. I'm up on the balls of my feet. Robin Williams. And Robin Williams blew past me onto the stage, did 45 minutes yeah. of genius material, uh, exhausted the audience, covered the stage in sweat, and then left. And then the MC went up and said, okay, so we got a showcase here. He's from New York. Uh, Dylan, come on up and show him what you got. And I went on stage and spoke to uh, uh, a walking over. Uh, the, the audience was paying their tab. They had gotten their value for their entertainment industry, uh, for, for their entertainment dollar. And I went on stage and stumbled through uh, eight minutes of wry political humor to an audience that was on its way to the egress. Uh, and it was incredibly disheartening. About 15 or 17 years later, I wrote a sketch for the David Feldman show that Robin was gonna do. And, uh, and he came in and I don't know if someone had told him this story or if he had some way of remembering it, but he came on, he came into the room 
saw me and said, Dylan Brody. And I said, yes. And he said, I am so sorry about your improv showcase. Well, that was nice. Uh, yeah, it really was. And then he told me my writing was brilliant. And I said, well, that's going to be a blur. But he said, I would expect nothing less, young man. <laughs> um, and then two years later, he introduced me to Mort Saul, who was one of my heroes, um, as a brilliant writer. So he wound up paying me back for that, that little bit of, uh, I wouldn't even call it a slight. He just bumped me and then ruined an important showcase. Improv was the first big club here, then Comedy Store, where they never made me a regular. My name is not painted on the wall. I worked there for two years, uh, answering the phones for not enough to rent an apartment, living on the roof, uh, and stealing stage time at the end of the night when I could. Well, who were some of the other comics that were performing there when you were there? Well, at that time, you know, the big acts were Kinnison and Dice Clay uh, and uh, uh, Tim Allen before his first uh, television series about how misogyny is never funny. Right. Um, that's not that's not how they pitched his shows. That's that's how I describe them. OK, um, it was I was too stoned at the time to realize that the people who were becoming successful were really reactionary and feeding into the the right leaning politics of the time and then cursing a lot to create the illusion that they were cutting edge and somehow uh, progressive, right? So you had uh, Sam screaming vulgarity and Andrew writing uh, misogynist rhymes and so on. And I had grown up watching George Carlin and, uh, and the Smothers Brothers and Flip Wilson and believed that anyone who was becoming known in comedy was naturally progressive and just could not get that out of my head enough to realize that I was not creating material that was going to sell during that era. I was writing about homophobia as a form of bigotry during the same time that, you know, that Dice Clay was going on Saturday Night Live and having Nora Dunn make the courageous uh, move of refusing to be on the air with him. So Kinnison is, yeah, just, just screaming and using naughty words, and you're basically up there doing a think piece. Exactly. Well, Kinnison was not just screaming and using naughty words. He was screaming and using naughty words so that he seemed to be innovative and, and uh, envelope pushing. Okay. While, in fact, the ideas he was presenting were that gays are to be blamed for AIDS and women are to be blamed for domestic abuse. Uh, and it was all the reactionary thinking of the Reagan era. Right. But I was coming out of uh, idolizing the leftists of the 60s and 70s in comedy. And it, I was just so stoned that I couldn't learn new information. I couldn't take it in that I needed to be a little more uh, guarded about what I was doing. If you, if you check out the YouTube appearance I did on um, uh, Comedy Express on Fox, uh, I was going after the Iran-Contra hearings in 89 uh, in my act in a way that nobody else was really looking at politics at the time. Uh, and could not understand why I wasn't having more success. Did you run across Bill Hicks at all in your stand-up career? Because right around the time, that would have been 1989, 90-ish, he, he was huge in Chicago. And, and he seemed like he was pushing the envelope, but did have some, some progressive thoughts. Bill Hicks was, at the time, one of my working heroes. Uh, Bill and I got to work together once in upstate New York. I was surprised to find out that he was not smoking any pot at all. He was using hallucinogens, but he would not smoke pot. 
Um, I don't know if that was always the case. It was true then. Uh, and a funny thing, uh, uh, you'll be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were hanging out, you know, after shows, we used to, uh, almost all the comics in those days used to go to whatever the 24-hour diner was locally after a show and, uh, and order off the menu with the pictures. And we, uh, we were out for a, a late night eat. And, uh, and I told him that on Oscar night in L.A., I like I, I would go around to bars and weep a lot and say that I had just won for best animated documentary. <laughs> right. And and he found that very funny and said, Oh man, I hope when I die they make an animated documentary about me. And then American came out a few years ago. And it's essentially an animated documentary. And I cheered and applauded and nobody knew why, because it was because of a conversation I had, had privately. Well, Dylan, it's been a, a great conversation as always. I'm glad we can get into that, your stand-up career. Next time we, we chat, I'd love to learn more about that. And I understand you have, a, you have a new album out, which I think you mentioned before, but let's mention it a couple more times. Road Tested from Oak Honest Records in Burlington, Vermont, a partnership with uh, Chauncey Bowers. I created this record. Uh, it's got me doing stories with him adding music so that the songs and the stories inform one another. It is a beautiful piece of audio art. It is funny. It is poignant. He is hilarious. It dropped yesterday and is available wherever you get your music electronically delivered. It is a digital release. How is that not a euphemism for masturbation? <laughs> I'll see if I can keep that in. Um, well, <laughs> Dylan, it is always uh, great to talk to you. Good luck with the new album. I hope you get a lot of streams because that point zero 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 four cents from Spotify, that adds up. And uh, thank you for calling in today, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on the anniversary. And I hope I have said anything that you can use on the air. 